Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, the, uh, the lovely Joanne's in studio, and you know why. It's because my guest is a fan. Because, you know, she only comes into the studio when she's fans of guests. But we're having, we're having our friend over for dinner. Because her uh, very good friend of mine is out of town working on a movie. So his girlfriend's coming over for dinner. And what I noticed, I actually sent her a message last night that she went Brussels sprouts or green beans or red potatoes and yellow potatoes. One of the two. But what's funny is, years ago we never did that. Like when I was a kid, I would hang out at my friend Marcus Pizzito's house, or he would hang out with me. And then we'd say, hey, you know, mom, can you know, I stay at his house? And, and you would stay for dinner, and what they gave you, you ate. It wasn't sitting there, you had no like choices. There was no gluten-free, no allergies. You would just sit there, and if it was like a pork <laughs> chop and a potato, you couldn't, you just ate it, you had to eat it. But now it's like, it's like you have to jump through hoops. I mean, I'm the one who has to watch my diet with the sodium, but I just, I just deal with it. I sit there and go, okay, you know, if it's there, I can eat what I want. And we're like with the vegetarians, it's like years ago, if it was a vegetarian, it was like then you eat the sides. But now it's like you have to plan these whole meals and, and it sucks. And at the end, all the kids are eating fast food anyway. Anyway, enough about that. Uh, we, have, we have a great guest today. And I have a very, I have a very uh, interesting story about my guest. Because um, you know, you people know I have that idiot savant memory. Back in like 2001, when I, uh, when I had moved out here, I waited tables at Gordon Beerish in Burbank. Oh, Jesus. And you used to come in. I love that place. And I think it was with your wife or girlfriend. Pro- yeah, probably if 2001, well, 2002 would have been my wife. But I always came with my best buddy, yeah. big, Mike Coleman. Okay, a tall guy. Big Wait. redhead guy. Oh, yeah, and there was another a girl. And his wife. Okay, that's what it is. And I remember, and I got to tell you. We lived there. And you guys tipped 20 to 25%, oh. so it was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I remember, I waited on you a few times. And that's it's just hilarious. funny. And I, I've always remembered stuff like that. And it's like, like with, we talked about John Polito. Yeah. Like, I met him at my friend's theater years ago at the around the same time. And he just came up, at, everyone. that's when I smoked. Everyone's out smoking a cigarette. Right. And he's like, fellow thespians, have fun. And I was just like, wow, that's, that's the schmata, you know? <laughs> So, uh, so you're from New York City. I uh, grew up in New York City. I left there when I was about 24, came out here, fell in love with California. I mean, once you come here, I mean, growing up in New York was awesome. And it, and it was the, you know, it was the, it was the bad old days. It was the seventies. It was, uh, you know, just, well, what part did you live in? I grew up, um, on the Upper West Side. Okay. And my dad worked right at Times Square, right at 42nd Street and Broadway. So like when I went to, it was, a, and that was the great old days of just, uh, X-rated movie theaters and, um, head shops and just not, and Kung Fu movies. It was all X-rated movies or Kung Fu movies. It's crazy. That, <laughs> it was yeah. crazy. And now, I mean, it was funny cause I don't go back that much, but I, I remember, you know, I was, I spent most my childhood being mugged and just and just fearing for my life and just developing that spidey sense that you get like you're like eh, this i don't think i'll go down this street it's oh, this, funny but now those streets don't exist anymore i know it's crazy we were just back there and it was like we were walking down the street and it's true like my brother lives on 55th and 6th but you know years ago like you know if you, if you came off like we took the bolt bus and if you right. you wouldn't walk that distance but now now when you were lived there did you want to be an actor did you act as a kid yeah no i mean i always i I fortunately knew really early. I remember at PSA 84, my, my elementary school, I did Oklahoma there. And I just remember I, I got, you know, I played the comic, uh, the comic lead, uh, and I just will. And I just remember all the grownups looking at me and they were like, you're good. And I think I thought, oh yeah, they really mean it. And I love doing it. I'd always like, I'd always been sort of uh, performing and putting on my mom's clothes and, you know, doing all that stuff. And then as soon as, uh, I, yeah. I, and then when I got to my high school, the sports teams weren't much, but like 
theater the theater department was amazing. Girls would come from all over town to watch the show. So it was the best place to meet chicks. That's what, sure. you know, that's funny. All the guys I've gotten from New York, like Ray Abruzzo and all these right. other guys, they sit there and they go, they played sports, but then they saw all the girls came to the acting things and they said, you know, even guys who were like good athletes, you know, they said, yeah, you know what? It was either playing football, which I was would have started at, or being on theater and meeting all the girls and it seems especially in New York like all the guys it was like every other place is where the, the girls want the athletes but well, here it's yeah. amazing well because the thing is like you knew n- none of these people I mean very few of them are going to become professional athletes right that's not what's going to happen but growing up in New York b- becoming a professional actor that's that's a that's a possibility and and yeah so it was and I had an amazing theater program at my high school and got to do great parts and then I was lucky enough you know being in New York City some a manager came and saw one of my high school shows so i had you know i had an agent right by my senior year of high school now were you going out for auditions and stuff like that i or? did i started i mean initially i i mean I, I i wanted to go to college and so i was really just sort of like a summer actor but i'd always been even when i was in high school i was always i spent you know my between my junior and senior year i went up to the williamstown theater festival and i was an apprentice there and then um for the first few years of college i would just come back to the city in the summer and do commercials because i I, I was cursed by getting my first audition ever. Like I had this manager come and see me, and I, we d- were doing the Diary of Anne Frank, and uh, I, I met with him in the morning. I went to my first audition in the afternoon and got it. Okay. And, and I thought it was always going to be like that. And uh, <laughs> that happens a lot of times. People say that they get it, and then they sit there, and then they go, "Man." And then they get rejection, rejection, rejection. And they go, wait, this isn't as easy as we thought. That's why there's people quitting it all the time. Yeah, I, have, I mean, I've been blessed. I have been blessed that I haven't had to have any other job. I've always done it since I was like, I got my SAG card in 1985. Now, you went to UNC? I went to Chapel Hill. Well, the, I went to a very, after I graduated PS84, I went to, I needed to go to a, uh, I wanted to go to a private school uh, that was near my school because the junior high school that was in my neighborhood that I was allowed to go to was pretty much just sort of like a prison way station. And so I figured that I, I, I really, and I really wanted to get like some sort of like regimented, uh, intellectual edu- academic education so I, I went to I got into this private school and I went there but I was a pretty serious kid and I you know like I said I spend my summers you know, I go off do you know um, summer stock and so I wanted to go have some fun because my favorite movie at the time was Animal House oh, of course and I wanted to go do that so I didn't want to go to any uh, northeastern um, colleges because I didn't want to see anyone from my high school so I I remember we went down to look at Duke and my dad said hey let's go look at UNC and when we went over there and it was like sort of the prototypical college it just looked like college so I went there for you know I, I ostensibly went there for four years but within a year I'd, I'd had enough fun you know I'd, I'd done enough mushrooms and consumed enough beer well you must have had uh, good SATs because UNC they're both tough schools UNC and Duke are both very tough schools to get into yeah I was I, I had very good SATs I was you know I I, uh, I took that very seriously <laughs> I didn't I didn't I didn't do the Stanley Kaplan but I, I was a very, I was a self-starter because my parents didn't they didn't care about any of this stuff um, I just got like one of those little books and I did an SAT test I myself every night for a week and got good scores and my, my brother fell asleep during his <laughs> he got like a 730 and then he ended up going to a fashion school in New York City for right? FIT and it was so funny because he graduated but he never really graduated because he failed biology which I don't know why if you're a fashion major you need biology but he won the Van Cleef and Arpel award for best male designer so they had to make him walk down the aisle they couldn't say well the, the senior was two years ago the winner uh He's not walking because he failed biology, and then everyone would be pissed at them. So, right. But so, so you graduate. But I, yeah, so I go to UNC, and I had my fun. So within about a year, I was like, I need to get serious. Because I, I, was, I was a drama major there, but um, 
I, I, I knew I was kind of like, people, I, I was doing well, but I knew I needed to be more challenged. So at the time, I think there was an article in the New York Sunday magazine about drama schools, and it, was, and it was just Yale and Juilliard. And Yale, you had to have gone to undergrad, so it was a grad school. So Juilliard, I was like, oh, I'll apply there. And I didn't really know that it was a big deal. I just knew that at the time, my favorite actor was William Hurt, and he'd gone there. So uh, I remember I just called them up and said, hey, I'd like to audition. And they're like, well, you know, it's a little late. And there was this brand new thing called FedEx. I was like, if I FedEx this application to you, <laughs> brand new, will, like, will you will, can I get an audition? And, uh, and I, luckily, I got an audition. And I really didn't know that. It, I, had I known that a lot of people wanted to go to that school and it was hard to get into, I probably would have like been completely in my head. But I was like, I figured, you know, things were always going well. I figured I'd get in. And I did. So and I was there. I was there for four years. I finished all four years at Juilliard, but I started working while I was there. Because after my first summer, or after my first year, my first summer there, I did a, an after-school special. Which I'm looking, and it was called Date Rape. Date Rape, and I was the is, date it's, raper. It's, but it's, it's just like now, they couldn't have a title like that. Because people be like, because, well, all the ABC school specials, they're really cutting edge. Like, we don't know about that, but I mean, you know, like when they had like Ben Affleck did steroids right. and like knocked over a bookshelf and it killed his girlfriend's cat. You know, now they don't do that. So they don't address that stuff anymore. Well, no, I mean, they don't have after school specials really, right? Should, I mean, though. and this was like, it was great because I was working with like John Savage and I was another acting hero of mine and we it, I felt like we were really making you know an important movie but the funny thing about that one was I had never I had never uh, kissed anyone in my life who wasn't my girlfriend and at the callbacks there were two guys me and another uh, another actor and there were four actresses and we had this they made us audition with this like three minute makeout scene where we were like making out and talking now is it real kissing I mean because they always say like it's like yeah you it's it's like I mean are you well, are you, are you necking? There's no tongue, okay. right? I I I mean I I assume maybe some people do use a tongue, <laughs> but there's no tongue. But I remember like the first girl and the first actress I had to read with because I had to read with all four of them. And I, I was like I'm freaking out. I was like I've never kissed anyone, <laughs> you know. And I and I was a young I was a little gentleman. And I was like oh you know are you comfortable with this? And by the fourth girl I was like bring her in here because <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was a uh, a lot of lessons were learned on that. And then I you know and then after my second year of Juilliard, I was lucky enough to get my first big movie, which was Memphis Belle. Now, that was a, a big hit. Yeah. And uh, now, did you have a big part in that? Yeah, it was. I, I mean, that was, that was another, it, that was a hard act to follow because, so my first movie, I find out about it that I've gotten the part like four months before we're going to shoot. We're shooting in England. We're shooting at Pinewood Studios. The studio. Wait, this is the? Memphis Belle. Okay. The studio that I've always wanted to work at because that's where all the James Bond movies have been filmed, Pinewood. I had four months to prepare. So yeah, I had a big part. There's 10 of us on the plane. The, the B-17 bomber holds 10, uh, you know, 10, 10, you know, 10 flyers. And, uh, and I was working with actors who I really loved. They cast Eric Stoltz and Matthew Modine and D.B. Sweeney, like guys I really wanted to work with. So I had four months to prepare which was amazing. We go over there, we go to boot camp. And at the time, the only other movie that had done a boot camp was Platoon. Okay. And you know, they had Dale die, like take them in through, run them through their paces in the Philippines. But they, they dropped us off um, in, on this old English manor. And the, the, the Lord of the manor, he had, he had, he had fought on the wrong side of the, of the English civil war, you know, 400 years ago. And so, but he, uh, and he was where the Royal Marines and the SAS train. So we had these Royal Marine and SAS guys train us for a week, but they weren't quite 
sensitive, I would say, to the fact that we all had to be camera ready by the end. So like they just, it's amazing no one died. And by the end, they, they'd sent us off on maneuvers. And I just remember the, 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 the sort of most apocryphal moment of that entire um, boot camp experience was one of the actors had siphoned gasoline from one of their cars and we were going to burn the manor down to get them back. Um, we, we, you know, we'd gone, you know, we'd, we'd, been, in, we'd been in country too long. We had right, a thousand right. yard stare. <laughs> and then, you know, then I get to make a movie for four months, you know, at Pinewood Studios and be in England and be, you know, I turned 22 while I was there and had cash in my pockets, you know, per diem. And and, uh, and it was just an amazing experience with great actors who are still my friends. I just finished shooting an indie that Eric Stoltz directed. Okay. And um, so we've all stayed friends and, and that was just like, it was an amazing beginning. It was also what was, for my career, but was also great too, was it was pre-CGI. So we actually had planes, and I got to go up in the B-17 bomber, and, and while we were doing aerial photography and shoot the fire the guns as Messerschmitts came in. So it was an amazing uh, first gig. See, that's cool. So you actually were in the planes. Yeah. Just, I mean, that's just crazy now, because yeah, everything's CGI now, and people, it's like, oh, right. there's a green screen. Yeah. And so so you get that. That's a big movie. You're no. 22. No. Yeah, and I saw you were in Loving. You were in an episode of Loving. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> Before all that, that was like your first game. Well, Loving, were... no, no. So Loving was, um, it was actually, I guess, there was a crossover between Loving and All My Children. And so right, oh, okay. at, right after I graduated Juilliard, I did my first on-Broadway play. I did a revival of uh, Harold Pinter's The Homecoming. And I knew when, the, when that run, it was, it was I don't know, a three-month run, and I knew at the end of that run I was going to leave New York and move to Los Angeles. Um, because, well, I... I I, because I'd already done the one show that was shooting in New York. At the time, it was only Law and & Order. And I did season two, and that was it. There was nothing left to do. And also, I, 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 during my third year of Juilliard, the year before I graduated, I came out here for sort of to Los Angeles to like experience what it was like for a week. And auditioning in L.A., compared to auditioning in New York was a completely different experience. So we're in New York, you're in these tiny, tiny rooms and everyone seems very angry that you're there. Like, sit over there and we'll, we'll call you in a minute. And then when I first came out to LA, I remember I show up and some, I have my rental car, so I'm all air conditioned as opposed to like, you know, you're being completely drenched in sweat from getting off the subway to walk, you know, to your audition that's three blocks from the subway station. And uh, I, I, I pull up to my audition and the receptionist says, oh, Reed, Oh, we're so glad you're here. And I was like, you are? I mean, you know, now, now I know they say that to everyone, but I was like, wow, they're really glad I'm here. Can we offer you a bottle of water? And I'm like, this is great. I, I need to be in California. So right after I, I finished this play, uh, The Homecoming, I needed money to move out. So they called up and they said, do you want to come do three days on All My Children? And they were paying for three days on All My Children. They were paying pretty much like what I made for about three months of the play. So I was like, absolutely. And now I'll have cash to move out to... Uh, to uh, LA, but all my children, those were the, the only days I ever did a soap opera. That was the hardest job of my life. Everyone says that, because you have to learn lines every night. You, well, you have, to, you have to learn lines every night, but you have to learn lines that are virtually all the same line, just said different ways over and over and over again. So you're never like, you know, and not that they're poorly written, but it's just, uh, I, I wouldn't say that, but you know, when you have something really well written, usually, Shakespeare is easy to memorize because there's intention behind it. The lines make sense. And there's, there's actually, you know, because he's a genius, there's no better word than what he put there. But, you know, soap operas, you know, they're not as careful with, with the words. So you're just saying this. I, could, I couldn't do it. See, it would be hard for me, too, because some of them, like, they're like days of our lives and stuff like that. We used to watch it in college. And right. their, their storylines are just, like, 
so out there as an actor. It's like, okay, wait, I'm coming back as an alien princess. You know, you sit there and put these weird stories in. As an actor, you must be sitting there going, wait a second. Right. We're, I was just here. I was working in a diner. This isn't like a sci-fi movie. And that's what always throws me off. It's crazy. <laughs> but it was a dream come true because I was a soap fan. Because I learned early on, like I think around seventh grade, that was when uh, Luke and Laura were getting married on General Hospital. For those of you of a certain age, who may remember such things. Um, and I was like, all the girls watch soap operas. So I was like, I'm going to watch the soap opera because then I have something to talk to the girls about. So I, I'd watch all these soap operas to, you know, to getting uh, well with the young ladies. And then I, when I did all my children, I got to work with all my heroes. Like there was, I played like Jeannie Francis's, Laura's okay. brother, because <laughs> she was on Loving at the time. And there was Erica Kane. And, and it, so from that from that standpoint, it was, it was a joy, but it was hard. And also it just, what I love about acting is that you, you get to, I have, you know, a short attention span. So I get to move from character to character. I think if I had to play one character for 20 years, I might go mental. I could, I could do that. So, yeah. so you're, you're acting around, and then, yeah. then you come down on your first, I mean, after your first big TV break, per se, is when you got cast in Homicide? Yeah, so, so I move out here to L.A. I move out here, um, and I, I love California, but, you know, things were sort of rough. Now I was, like, you know, hustling, going to auditions and stuff like that, and I had that, Acting is an odd job for a, for a grown man, and I had some sort of existential crisis. And I think you know, the, four months after I moved here were the, the the riots, and it seemed like a very dangerous place. And I, and I, I thought, you know what? I shouldn't be an actor. I should be a cop. I want to go be a cop. So I had all these friends who were LAPD guys. So you were actually considering? Oh, I, yeah, I was completely deluded, you know, because it's like, <laughs> uh, because I'm not meant to do anything else but act. At, but you couldn't make it through boot camp for a, for a week. So I, I was being a cop. Boot camp was good for no, because I, I like all that macho thing. And you want, you know, because you're overcompensating. Because, you know, basically my job requirement is to dress up and put makeup on. Right. right? So it's just like, um, and so, uh, but at the time I was, I, I, and I'd always, you know, really admired New York City cops. And, and I, so I had these LAPD buddies. And I, I went on a ride along. I spent an evening with them. They took me down. I was in Watts, and we're going to the station house. But all the cops I met, they all wanted to be actors. That's funny. Right? And so then I, at, at that moment, I thought, okay, I'm an actor. I, I really am. That's my passion. There's nothing else that I'm actually, I'm an actor. There's nothing else that I, you know, I, I want to do and can do. And, but I, do, I really wanted to play a cop. And I really wanted to play one realistically and, 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 and honor them. And it was so when um, Homicide came along, I remember, I remember when the show first aired, I was like, what is this? I want to be on this show. It was such a great show. Such a great show. And Andre was on, who I'd been at Juilliard with, and, and I was like, I want to be on this show. And so when they called and they said, you have an audition for Homicide, I was like, I'm going to get this thing. And I mean, I, I was so excited to, it was like auditioning for Juilliard. I was so excited. And when I got it, it was a dream come true. Now, it was, but what was funny too, because I think at the time I was the first uh, actor to be added to the show. Yeah, because I know you took Polito's place. Basically, yeah. Because he said that he told me to tell you hi. We, he I, said yeah. he goes, oh yeah. He goes, yeah. He took my place on Homicide. <laughs> so John Polito. I never got to meet John Polito until I met him in an in an airport in Dublin, in a Dublin airport. Because my wife and I had just gotten married in Ireland. We got married in Ireland, and there on our first class flight back to L A is John Polito. I'm like, John. So I went out. I was like, John, it's me, Reed. And he's like, ah, oh, it's great to see you. And he's like, and he taught me, he taught me the most valuable acting fan interaction uh, lesson of all time. Because 
people come like, I, I, hello, I, I know you. He's like, well, I, you recognize me from, he would exactly, he could peg them by who they were, what show they recognized them from. And I was like, oh, because, because, you know, when you're sort of a young actor and you're trying to be cool and people are like, hey, did, do I know you? Did we go to high school together? Like, no, I don't know. I don't think we went to high school together. You know, and I was like, and then I saw him being so magnanimous. So now, now you know, now, so if like, a, if like a 55 year old woman comes up to me, she's like, I know you. I'm like, judging Amy. Okay. And, uh, you know, <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, so when I, I joined Homicide, you know, they'd lost, you know, Ned had left and Danny Baldwin had left and Polito had left and I was like the f- first guy to come on. And I, th- I think in their minds at the time, I think they thought they were going to add like a little, I was going to be like some of the hot, the hot young detective. Because they went a lot younger. I mean, you, you know, from Ned Beatty to John Polito to right. you, right. where there's a big, <laughs> a so big difference. So I think they wrote me some stuff to be like super sexy and all that, but like what they didn't bargain for, like I was like. I was super, I was completely serious about being a cop. And at the time I was, you know, very, you know, intense actor, very prepared. So, I mean, so, you know, I think we, we, we all, you know, the, the marriage of, you know, of, of Tom Fontana's brilliance and what, what I was able to bring to the table ended up being, you know, just, I mean, that's my favorite character of all time. I mean, it was, it was, it was the creatively one of the greatest experiences of my life. It was, um, I don't know what, how Polito described it, but like, personally and emotionally for most of us it was a it was a it was a nightmare it was it was the jungle out there because it was like um we were making the show in baltimore right no 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 nbc executive is ever coming to baltimore and, and he Go said ahead. you weren't getting paid the la money for mm-hmm. him like he said it was a lower budget but then when he read the script he said i gotta do it but he said he's sitting there going ah you know i could stay in here and get this money but the thing is for an actor it's like you're still it's and you're right baltimore i mean it's you know, I mean, people, you know, it's like when you watch The Wire, oh, that's yeah. amazing. But I mean, I used to, when I did stand up, you would go play in the Inner Harbor mm-hmm. and you would worry. You would sit there and be like, ah, you know, where am I going to park? If you're not on Light and Lombard, <laughs> you know, if you're not, if you end up in the Cherry Hill area, you're in trouble. But it, I mean, it was amazing. You know, it was because we literally, we had no sets. I mean, the squad room was a practical building, so we couldn't move walls in or out. We had our, we had our squad room. And then when we were on the street, we were on the street. We, when we were in a crack house, we were in a crack house. So like, and I was working with just the most, you know, gifted actors and amazing writers and, and directors, you know, because the guys they would get to do this and we're making it on a network. I mean, I've, that's the thing of the past now that we have the, the beauty of, of cable television and, and certainly The Wire, you know, which is I think probably the greatest show that's ever been on TV, um, was able, you know, David Simon started, you know, he wrote the book and then he wrote, hom- you know, we started Homicide, but then with The Wire, he was able to do exactly what that vision was and it was so brilliant but it was a crazy time there were a lot of um because there was no nbc executive was ever going to show up so we would all like leave work and just go to the bar across the street and then go home and come back to work the next day so there was there were a lot of shenanigans right yeah so now the people start recognize you from that role i mean because i mean the funny thing is it didn't it never got the crowd and the 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 audience it should have like it was it should have been a huge hit well you know it was funny it it, it did well enough, and by today's standards, I mean a bad week for us was like oh, only sixteen million people saw it, right? And then those days, that was not a great right. rating. Um, but what it did have, um, it was sort of the early days of the internet. The following, 
was intense. So you know, you had like these X-Files fan rooms and you had homicide fan rooms. In fact, I just, and they, they organized, they organized their own conventions. I remember when I was still there, I knew they were coming. So I, f- I figured out where they were going to be and I surprised them and I, I brought all the little conventioneers. They're, they weren't little. They're, they're, they're normal size. They were humans. Tom Thumb. <laughs> yeah, they're Lilliputians. But no. And then I brought them up to the squad room and it was great because just last week I was emceeing an event up in uh, Santiana's Valley for my daughter's school and this older woman came and, and she was like you're my favorite character she was she was there she was a local lady and she goes to all those conventions so um, it, it's the fan base was nice and we did I mean we got picked up after my first year we got picked up for another two which is very rare these days I mean you get picked up for two seasons so it was a lot of job security and it was the, an amazing character um, and it was funny you know because when I first showed up uh, the fan reaction to me joining that show was harsh People were like, why is he here? You know, and then by the end, they were like, the show's never going to be the same without you. <laughs> you know, which is which was a, is a great lesson in, you know, in the fickleness of fate and, and you know, not to, uh, you know, the, the worst thing ever an actor can do in this modern age is like Google yourself. Right. And read the comments. See, that's, yeah, I, I've heard yeah. that people just, you know, I yeah. see that. So, see, so that, that, that show ends. So not, then you're working some different shows and then, then you came into The Shield. Yeah, well, it was a weird thing because, like, only, you know, with the arrogance of youth and, like, not having a child or or a family, I I left Homicide. I was like, you know. So you just left. You decided. I think, you know, I think creatively I've done enough, you know, in three years. You know, because, you know, because at the time, um, you just, you're, uh, you know, I wanted to be the next, you know, Robert De Niro. I wanted to be the next Opportuno. So I thought, like, oh, I've, I've said all I have to say about this character. And and without, you know, not being glib, I, at the time, we were in kind of, after I killed Luther Mahoney, which was such an, an amazing television gift, you know, because that's what I loved about that show, which is so rare. And what actors always fight for is we were allowed to be unlikable. And which is just a gift because, you know, the, the, the hardest thing on, you know, on a television show is they want you to be likable. Right. And they were brave and, and we got away with so much and, and I'm proud of, of every single episode. But, but I was like, yeah, you know, I, I think I've said everything and it's time to move on. So I left. And when The Shield came along, it was really funny because I was like, I don't want to do another series for a while. Like, I, I don't know who I thought I was. I, well, I, I did. I was single and I, you know, I was, I just, uh. I would, you know, work and then go travel. So I, um, but then S.H.I.E.L.D. came along. We thought, oh, this is great. Because Clark, who played my partner on, who played Meldrick on Homicide, Clark Johnson, who's an amazing director, he was going to direct this. He was like, come do this. People will think you're, you know, you're on the show. And then when, you know, I think everyone's seen this, you know, when you get killed at the beginning, when, you know, Vic Mackey kills you at the, at the beginning of the first episode, people are going to know what kind of show they're in for. So, and it was an amazing experience. And it was funny as, as the week went on, I was like, oh, I wish I wasn't going to die because these guys were great because the difference between Homicide and The Shield, I remember Homicide, the, I really think that the powers that, that, that be, the powers that be, those in charge of the show, they they really thought that the chaos that was part of um, our personal lives and making that show fed the show. So like if you were going through a divorce, which we all went through while we were making Homicide, all of us, um, you know, pretty much, uh, then that would get into the show. Okay. Or if you know, and so, and then, and then sort of like the, the drinking and the fighting and all that, they loved it. So I... I thought when I left Homicide, the secret to making a good show is that everyone is, you know, two seconds from killing each other and has serious substance abuse problems and uh, enjoys drinking more than they should. And so when I got to The Shield, 
it was this it was the beginning of the second half of my life where I've had now more of those experiences where everyone was so nice and everyone was so supportive. When I first showed up to Homicide, no one talked to me. And which I thought, but me being like a young method actor, I was like, oh, this is great. I can use this. This is how it'd be for the new guy. No one would talk to the new guy. So I was like, and uh, you know, but you know, which is, it was just horrible. It was just totally emotionally abusive. But, and then I go to S.H.I.E.L.D. and I'm like, oh, this show's gonna suck because these guys are all really sweet. And then, then I was like, oh no, the show's great and you can be nice. Wow, I have to remember this. <laughs> so you get killed off that, and I love that show. I, yeah. I got into it like the second season, and so now you sit. There. But I got to come back like a million times because I'd go there. Well, they had that one episode where they did like a, a flashback episode, the the rewind episode, and then um, and then I'd go every once in a while to do either a flashback or just be a dead body for a picture. Okay. For a while, I just get eight hundred dollar <laughs> checks for just for being a for being a dead body for being a picture, and uh, which is great, you know, when when you need some cash. So when you leave that, then you yeah. know, when judging Amy. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Well, then, then we have the sort of then there's this middle period, you know, because the you know the vicissitudes and the trials and tribulations of being an actor, a professional actor as I am, um, there were some there are some ups and downs. But this was, this I was still like after I left that I had what I used to have because we never made any money on Homicide, as Polito said, like. I, it was like a third of what you were going to make on another show. So I'd always do a TV movie in the summer because they had TV movies. And in, the old, in those days of TV movies, like they, they used to be like, they just drive the money truck up to your house. So, you know, you do one of those and you were pretty much, you know, when I was just on my own, you're set for the year doing one of those suckers. So, so I had this period where I was like doing some TV movies and, um, and and I do judging Amy, you know, I went off and did a play, went, you know, because I who cares? I don't. I'm just I'm just feeding myself. But then I think I mean, there came a point where I was like, all right, I want I want something more. I want to do some quality work. And then my career really changed for me when I started. Um, I started doing improv comedy. So a lot of guys have been on your show here, like Pete Gardner and Pete Holney, and you know Joel Murray, like all those guys. I. The hardest thing when you first come to LA is finding your friends. Right. And until you find your group, you, you, you don't really, it's hard to be completely happy here. And so for the first like five, six, seven years I was here, I didn't have my group yet. And then I moved into a house and the, the couple that you saw me always going to Gordon Beers with, they lived in a little apartment at the, in the basement of the house. And they were from Chicago and they were here, you know, starting the I Improv Olympic uh, Theater out here in L.A. And they welcomed me right away. And so then I started coming, uh, coming to the theater and then becoming friends with all these amazing people. And they basically like sort of moved their entire Chicago group out here. And these were sort of the funniest, um, most generous uh, real people that I'd ever, you know, Neil Flynn and Keckner and all those guys. I've, I've learned that just with... Um with my guests, I went on a big Chicago streak, and my right. own friend John Mount is a writer who's married to Rose Abdu. Right, Rose, yeah, oh, Rose. love, yeah. And so, and then through Rose, you know, that's how I got Kate on the show, Kate Flannery on the show, right. and then Nia Varlos, exactly. and then Susie Nakamura, and they all just seemed like all of them. And we had read both of us, and me and Joanna read uh, Nia's book. Yeah, she talks about the five or the eight or whatever that all these people that she's friends with. All these Chicago people still keep in touch. Like Holmes still keeps in touch yeah. with Neil Flynn. They do beer shark mice every yeah. once in a while, and yeah. they were all just and all of them worked. I think because they had a, a, a better they they I think they had a really good attitude when they came out here. Well, they're just really really good people. I mean, my uh, uh, my my introduction to all of them was an was an Oscar party. And out here, you know, in LA, people take their Oscar parties very seriously. 
And over the years, you know, they always have a pool for the Oscar party, right? So you're supposed to like pick, you're supposed to pick the winners and whoever gets the most in every category. So I used to show up to other people's Oscar parties and, and I did my research because who knows, you know, what the best foreign short was that year. Right. And so I, I'd, I'd sort of, I'd triangulate all the top critics picks and I'd show up to these pools and I'd win. And then people would be furious and I and I and, and, and I'd, I'd never be invited back to the Oscar party because like, I'm like what you weren't supposed to bet your heart here you're, you're trying to win but I and still in you know, I'd be magnanimous I was like I want to buy drinks for everyone and like, no you know these grum, <laughs> grumbly bitter actors that someone else had I don't know taken their $20 in fact one year the host of the party said you know you had a good year this year you should give that money back give it to someone else and, and I was like I offered to take everyone out for drinks but anyway so I go to the um, and these are these parties are notoriously catty you know people just sit there just like getting their, their their venom out at the screen right but I go to this Betty and Mike the people who we you know you see me with at uh, Gordon Beers took me to a party where all these people were there everyone you've just mentioned were all there and they they welcomed me in they didn't know me they were so sweet to me everyone was there their wits are massive but they were all kind so the jokes they were making during the Academy Awards um, were, uh, were were hilarious but not cruel and that's I think the nature of all of their comedy too they're hilarious but not cruel and then uh, I it was neck and neck between me and the host to win the thing as we were going and they were rooting for me and then I won and I said hey everybody they were, everyone was very excited I was like let's go out I want to buy you all drinks so I took them all to the cat and the fiddle and you know we were friends ever since and then watching those shows but this is how we got started like what the change happened I watched the shows and I'm just blown away you know beer shark mice and all those people they're just so they're so great and um Bishop Mice is for those who are listening. It's, it's the name of a show with Keckner and Pat Finn and right. Neil Flynn and um, you know Mike Coleman and Pete Holney. And uh, but I, after I watched it for a long time, I thought I want to do this. So then I you know I started taking the classes there, and then I started getting teams and started doing shows there. And it was the biggest change for me as an actor. You know, going to Juilliard, I'd gotten that classical training, and the reason I went there was I thought, oh, I need classical training. I need to be able to do Shakespeare. I want to do Lear when I'm seventy. Um, but I. But also the, 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 the side effect of that was that I could often be in my head. You know, I took things very seriously and I would overthink things. And the gift of improv and comedy was where I started. But then at a certain point, you know, as your career goes, you get sort of put into slots and you sort of stay there for a while. I mean, the, the worst slot was in the Judging Amy phase, even though I had a great time on that show, was like I was in the boyfriend slot. And the boyfriend slot is like the slot, you that that is the worst slot. I remember I had a manager, because I when, I when I first was starting and I wanted to get on a cop show and she goes, but I was doing a lot of boyfriend kissy face parts. And she's like, it's gonna be a long time before anyone gives you a gun. You're gonna do a lot more kissy face. And I was like, I'll show you. but. But I'd be in my head a lot, but then by the beauty of improv is I, I realized, oh, I can take one word or a sentence and create a 45-minute show that's really entertaining. So it gave me a lot more freedom with my work. So then I think my work, for me, work was much more fun. It was much, and then I went through a big period of just like starting to work a lot more, just guest starring a lot, doing a lot of different shows, and then trying to get, as we all do, just trying to find the right next series. And in the meantime, you do, you know, you do what, you know, you do some great shows, you do some not so great shows. And I had a couple of sin erasers in there. I, you know, got to do Good Night and Good Luck right. in that period. But I was, I was finding, I felt like I rediscovered my love of acting and also just sort of the, my, the joy and the simplicity of it and the fun of it. So started doing a lot of guest spots again and then and still doing my shows at, at night at the you know at the io and then good night and good luck and then 
some bunch of, you know, some pilots finally got picked up, you know, and then I feel like things really turned around again when I started doing Journeyman. Okay. You know, now that was with who? Well, Journeyman, which is a funny story, it's with Kevin McKidd and Rome, which, did you ever watch Rome on HBO? I I know of it. I, I never, I heard it was crazy. It was amazing. So, but, you know, I feel like things just sort of, are, things are meant to be, like, you know, homicide was meant to be. And I remember we would watch Rome, my wife and I would sit on the couch and every week and she's like, you guys, should play, you look like brothers. You should play brothers. And for two years, we just talked about how I should play Kevin McKidd's brother. And then... One day during you know the very exciting time that is pilot season where you're you're just you're just you're putting your heart out there three times a day and sometimes it's it's being handed back to you and sometimes it's just being stomped into just mush, and I, I my agent calls me up and he goes I've got an audition for you tomorrow it's to play a cop, and Kevin McKidd's brother, and I was like I'm getting this, <laughs> and I and 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 that's uh, strangely too I walked in and I met Kevin Falls who's the creator of that show who's also the creator of the show I've been on now for four years Franklin and Bash. And um, so Journeyman was a dream come true. I got to work with Kevin and, and Kevin McKidd, and we just had, you know, we made a show that we were super, super proud of and, and went great. And, uh, but that led to um, Franklin and Bash because I'd been playing all these serious parts. And unless you'd seen me, which is, you know, 50 people who come to see the improv show, no one really knew that comedy was something I, I prefer. Right, because you went to playing Cops and The Shield, cops and, and then you were in 24. Oh, yeah. Which was, that's, I'm sure, no, you know, 24 is a comedy. It's like, hey, you know, he was in the musical version. It was, you know. It's kind of a meta comedy because it, it's, you know, as I say, like, uh, Jack Bauer makes Batman look like a pussy. Right, because there's like there's literally no one, nowhere he can't be, no one he can't kill, and you 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 can't kill him. You can you can blow him up with a hydrogen bomb, and he'll come back. Right. But then Kevin Falls, who was the creator of Journeyman, he'd see me goofing around in between takes, and he's like, I you know I know you can do comedy. So when Franklin and Bash came, he's like, Do you want to come do this? And I was like, Absolutely, because that's what because you, you you have to you have to show it and you have to prove it so people will let you do it. Well, Franklin and Bash is funny cuz Joanne's a big fan of that and I started right. watching it and it's just well it's a great cast cuz you just you just like Gosselier and uh Breckenmeyer. Oh, yeah. You just like him and even uh Ms. Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. You like him. I mean you, you watch it and it's one of those things where it's so many times, you know, hours are just sometimes too heavy when it's courtroom and stuff like that, you right. know. But then you watch this and you know it's going to be fun, but but they always get the bag. You know, it's just it's sort of like you know when uh when Rake was on, you know, like I canceled with Greg Kinnear. Yeah, yeah. It's just that sort of that fun courtroom thing where it's like it's not like written like hey it's a sitcom, but all the characters are different and you laugh and it's just a fun show. Yeah, it's a fun show. I mean, for me too, you, know, you get to work with Malcolm McDowell, which is, which is just a dream come true. I remember like sitting in. You know, some buddy's room watching a VHS copy of Clockwork Orange. And I was like, oh, I hope I get to meet that guy. Right now, I'm hanging out with Malcolm, <laughs> and the boys are amazing. So and it's been a, it's been a it's been a really it's been a fun show. It's been a fun character. So now it's it's it's, it's very different for you because you know you're sort of like the the not the would you consider yourself a patsy? What would you consider your character? I call him um uh well he he fits into the pantheon of a character that I perfected um as soon as my hair started to go a little gray. I started sort of cornering the market in the likable dick department, okay. and that's what I like to do, the likable dick. <laughs> but uh, he's not really a dick, he's just, he's very uptight. Like he's like, yeah, I guess he is a dick. He's, he's sort of like the frat boy who like, they, that, that 
no one really liked. Like, I think he was like the one that they put him in because he was a legacy. Yeah, he is. Well, I mean, you know, when the show started, these guys, you know, they're the wacky lawyers, and I represent every tradition. There's a way things are done. One goes to Harvard Law, one joins the finest clubs. You don't get to cut the line with your shenanigans. So that's, you know, that's, it's, and it's fun. He's, 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 you know, he's Frank Burns in a suit. So, yes. Yeah. So how? Okay. So now you also. I mean, you're you're on. You're jumping around from different shows because you're playing Franklin and Bash, and you're the guy. And then you go into the Mentalist. Yeah. Well, you know the thing is, the, the beauty. Uh, you get to a certain point, and then there's there's just work for you. So Franklin and Bash. It's we only do a ten episode. We just finished last night. Our, now, our where do you guys season. shoot? We shoot that out in Santa Clarita. Okay. But um, so you have a lot of off time. So the off time when you're when you're contracted to a show, the only thing you're allowed to do is guest spots. But I've been really lucky, you know. So you get to, you, they call you to do a mentalist, and then which is always happens, you know. You, they call you to do one, and then you end up doing, you end up being a character, you end up being Red John. I mean, that's, you know, one one of the greatest, co- you know, collaborations and blessings that's happened in my career has been um, my relationship with Joss Whedon. So they called me, my my wife was pregnant, and they called me to do uh, one scene in the pilot of Dollhouse, and there was a character who was just going to be in one scene. And it was an amazing character, and I was very excited, and I went in, and I'd always wanted to work with They were like, do you want to go do this? This is Joss Whedon's thing, and I'd always wanted to work with Joss Whedon. And so we went in there, and somehow Joss and I just hit it off. Just I don't even, it was just one of those things was meant to be, and then the character ended up being in the whole show. And then then I got to be part of the Whedon-verse and got to work with Joss, and then that also gave me just probably, the thing that I'm most proud of in my career was getting to do Much Ado. Okay. The we did our Shakespeare movie. That's, which, the, that's the black and white. The black and white Shakespeare okay. movie that we shot at his house, and it was one of those things because I went to Juilliard, and then I promptly spent most of the rest of my career on television. And I was like, why did I? Yeah, I, I remember lamenting. It was like four years ago or three years ago, and I lamenting to my wife. I'm like, why did I go there? Why did I get a classical training? I'm never ever going to do Shakespeare. Two weeks later, I get the email from Josh like, do you want to go do Much Ado About Nothing? And I was like, hell yeah! And it was. That was the most, because I, I, I was talking about sin erasers, you know, I, I look at Good Night and Good Luck and I look at Much Ado About Nothing, um, I call them sin erasers because there's a lot of jobs you have to do, not have to do, there's a lot of jobs I'm very fortunate to do that, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's not showing me at my best per se, or, you know, it's just, there. You, you've got bills to pay. And, uh, and uh, there's, I mean, I've, I'll, because basically, you know, my agents, are, when, they, when they come in with the offer, when they call with the offer, like, we, we've got an offer, uh, let us know if you're interested. I'm like, well, pretty much, unless there's a gimp ball in my right. mouth. But I'm like, even, I mean, I'm like, even if the gimp ball's in my mouth and it's funny, I'll do it. Right. Um, but, you know, so you, you end up doing some stuff and you're going, God, I, wow, I don't know. Like, I wonder, I, I wonder if I'll still have a career tomorrow because you're trying to be good. Because I feel like there's like, there's two types of jobs. There's the one where you're like, Oh God, I hope I'm good enough. And then there's the, I hope I can make this good. Right. And uh, I remember with Tyne Daly, uh, when we were doing Judging Amy, she said, our job is to polish turds. And I was like, <laughs> which is very cynical. But, you know, but it's a good skill, you know. And someone said, you know, if you can make, um, you know, sort of average material great, then, you know, you're doing your job. And, um, and I love what I do. So I'm also... I'm really, really lucky, but I had these scenarios. And much ado was just one of those perfect experiences where you're getting to, you know, the material is amazing. But Joss is, you know, the only certified genius I know. I mean, the guy's vision and his instinct and intuition and generosity are 
unbelievable. So that was that was a great experience. So it must be a lot different though too. You said you shot it in his house and you're coming from these T V sets, you know, especially like the mentalists and Franklin and Bash right. and all this outside, you know, just this like, oh wait, no. Oh, it must be so hard to shoot in California and Santa Clarita, you know, it's sunny. It's like <laughs> I've heard people Jerry Burns was on and he said you shoot up uh, he shot a Bates Motel up right. in Vancouver, and he's like, all it does is rain. And I think you were in Vancouver. I've just been nine months there doing a new, I did, I did a new uh, event series for Fox called Wayward Pines. Okay. With Matt Dillon. And- so, but you sit there and you go, and you go from these big productions, and then at Josh's house, it was up some smaller show. You must, I mean, what was that like? I'll tell you what, you know what's funny? I thought, because we, we, when, you, when, when you work with Josh, like, he just says, do you want, do you want in? And, you're, and of course, everyone says yes. He goes, all right, I'll let you know what you're going to do. And then, like, a couple weeks later, he sends an email. He goes, Reed, I'm thinking about you for one of the Dons. There's Don John and there's, you know, um, Don Pedro, who I played. And then it's just like, uh, well, I'll, I'll let you know who you're going to play. And then he's like, okay, you're going to play this part. We're having a read-through. Now, I thought when we showed up to shoot, I thought it was going to be Joss just holding, um, you know, uh, shooting it himself, hand a cup. I showed up. We've got, we've got, it's, it's a full, a full crew. We've got trucks. We've got three cameras. It was, it, it was as professional. It was more professional than most of the jobs and the best craft service I've had and the best catering of any job in the last decade. What was some of the food they had? Well, they just, they got, I mean, cause also the beauty about independent movies is everyone knows why they're there because no one's there to get rich. Everyone's there to do something that they're not always given a job chance to do so the you know the guy who's going to be our director of photography he's normally a camera operator you know everyone gets to bump up a bit so i get to play a a, a big meaty important you know nuanced exciting role and and everyone so everyone is so excited to be there and and it's such a good group i mean the beauty of joss whedon too is like he just he finds the greatest people so like even if you haven't met them, if you know he knows them and they know the other people, you know you're going to like them because they're all awesome. So you, it's like this little family, and no one wanted to leave. Even you know when when your scene was done, you just stay and watch everyone else shoot theirs. And um, so that's one of those really super special experiences. And um, but it's a sitter so it it makes up for because uh, that's when you go. Oh, at least I did that. Right. And uh, I've had two black and white sitter Good night, good luck was you know in black and white as well. And I just did this great. Indie that Eric Stoltz directed, and that's that's gonna be another cool one. So so okay so so we're we're gonna get to that sure. in a second. Yeah, but, take um, time. with the. Uh, I, I was wondering, what was the, why was the food so good? I, I, I <laughs> well, I'm all excited now. I'm like, oh, why the food, is the food so well, good? The like, good. <laughs> well, the food is like because it, it, it's a, it was all gourmet. And it was just it was beautiful. We were all like, I think we all put on ten pounds, and uh, <laughs> it's such a. Uh, you know, because usually, you know, craft service is just like M and M, some potato chips, and a bunch of sodas, and uh, nothing that actors can eat. Right? It's just it's it. But uh, when it's when it's sort of gourmet and delicious and, and moderately healthy, then it, it, that's I think that's I think that is the mark of excellent craft service. So now you're in Bones too. Yeah, I did, well, I'm dead now. But I know that now, yeah. But yeah, Joanne watches the bones. You know, I, I can I can be honest. I've never, and this is nothing against right. the show. I I don't think I've ever watched a full episode of Bones. I, I don't know what it is. I just I never got into the show. It's sometimes, you know, and and David Boreanaz is from Philly, so I'm like, you know, I right, agree. He's an Eagles fan. You yeah. know, see him tweet about the Eagles and the Flyers. I'm like, yeah. I just I don't know. I just maybe it's the name Bones. I don't know. Well, a lot of people are watching it, so you, I know. You, a, yeah, you should get on board because it, it's and it's a great show. They're great. I mean, that's one of those really fun people, really nice. But you know, going back to like that earlier. Conversation, now I've just been blessed. I work with awesome people all the time. So going to work is just um, is a, 
I'm blessed. Now, because you're on so many shows, yes. Do right. I mean it's I mean it's great, and you yeah. but do a lot of people recognize you now? I mean, or have you have you dealt with that since Homicide? Because you said like Homicide was a very uh, was a very um, what should we say a uh, a rabid fan base. A really... rabid fan base. I mean, I am I am I am blessed with uh, just the right amount of fans. So I, it's nice. People come up to me, and uh, I'm not inundated because you know I'm I'm that guy who was in that thing. You know, you, you you're like I know you, and then some people. It's it, it, it's it's always delightful. I never I, I always enjoy it when people come up. I like I got to do um, a. Uh, uh, convention for Dollhouse, you know, because the Whedon verse, you know, they have a, a lot of conventions, and I love meeting the fans and talking to them. And I've got a lot of really sweet fans on Twitter who I have, you know, I guess sort of semi-close relationships with. I have, you know, I communicate with. And uh, but no, I I have enough that, that you know to keep me employed and um, and as as many as I deserve at this point. What's well, funny, I look at your resume, and it's like, you know, you sit there and it's like, you know, like just three credits in a row, Cold Case, Castle, and Monk. Right. You're like on all, like, like every top show. I think they just sit there and they go, <laughs> hey, uh, who do we, uh, you know, hey, uh, Reed Diamond hasn't been on the show yet. Let's call him because it's like it's like a baseball card collection. It's like you could sit there with a card. You could be like, "Well, I have every prime time." I mean, that must be a great feeling, though. I mean, do they call you, or do you have to audition? For no, some they of the call. Shows? That's. I mean, I have I have the best job. I have like I really I have, I have the best life. You know, I have an amazing, amazing family. I live on a vineyard. You know, I finally left LA, and I just like you know I drink great wine and eat great food, and have a family who I adore, and I get to I get to guest star on awesome shows and meet new people no it's great they call up and i mean it's as as opposed to memphis bell where i have four months to repair i mean my life like now i just finished um franklin and bash so i'll go back into the mix but it's usually like they call like can you be in new orleans tomorrow and you're like sure i could be in new orleans tomorrow can you be in vancouver in a day and and so i never know you know i've done this long enough that if I have some wisdom, that's, you know, and let me tell you, the greatest thing about just getting older and still like being in the business is then people think that like, um, you know what you're talking about. You have something to offer, and your stories are suddenly ten times more interesting. Like that's I, funny. I, I was I was on a I was on a podcast this Saturday, and right. ended up going like two hours, and it was talking about comedy. And the guy was really nice, and he sent me a message like, "Yeah, you know, I'm really new to this business." And I'm like, well, "I've only been hosting this show for three and a half years. I don't really don't know much about radio, but it's like I can because I'm older. You sit there and you're like, well, I guess I, I always say, well, if I can help you, I said I don't really know what I can help you with, but it's weird. It's like people sit there as you get older, they go, and then like, yeah. you're going gray, I'm going bald, so they think, oh, well, there's a sign of they're distinguished and you know I, I know on some level i guess i guess you know i've been doing this since you know for for a long time for almost 30 years professionally i guess i do i i, I have something part because of the movie i just did that uh eric directed stoltz directed um it was mostly young actors and so I, I i was out one night with them for dinner and at some point i realized oh i'm talking and they're all listening. And I'm like, because, you know, for me, I still, you know, because I feel like if I can impart one thing to my child, it's the, because no one ever told me this, that no matter how old you get, you're always going to feel like you're 16 inside. So I still feel like a, you know, a kid and like curious and, and you know, um, uh, excited. And, and, you know, for me, one of the greatest joys of Franklin and Bash is getting to work with Malcolm Dowell and hearing his stories. Stanley Kubrick and Albert Finney. And then I covered her with Jello and licked it off, and you know it's like Caligula. I, I fisted him, and I left my ring inside his anus. No, it's like so. You know, so it's like so. I I love those stories, and now I have. I guess I have I have something to give back, but also you know the best thing about guest starring, 
And you talk about, you know, when you said earlier about Gordon Beers, like, I, right before I started Juilliard, my parents got divorced, and suddenly, um, I couldn't get financial aid, and I needed to make I needed to make like ten grand in three months. And I was auditioning for commercials, but I was like, I need to get a quick job. So I got a my, I got a waitering job for three months, and it was at a place in Manhattan that served only sort of like mobsters and celebrities, and and so a lot. Of, it was a very un New York thing, especially then, like nineteen this is nineteen eighty seven, and and I from that day on I understood what a waiter did, and. Uh, yeah, I've I, I I tip ridiculously because it's like this is hard work and no one because also I don't think the public knows that like that's your pay usually, and but but knowing how it is, guest starring so much I call it like a thousand first days of school because you've got you come in to this sort of well-oiled machine and you know when you first start out you're like oh I hope everyone likes me I hope it works out and you know and, and now you realize no you know you got to come in and you have to know what you're doing and be confident but when people guest star when I have a show and people guest star you know the first thing I make sure you know I'm, I'm not I'm an amazing guy but like the first thing I do <laughs> no the first thing I do is you make sure they're comfortable because I remember the great Charles Durning he guest starred on Homicide and he Steve Buscemi directed the episode and I'm sitting there and, and Charles Durning you know uh, the the insanely talented Charles Durning, who survived, who had his who had his throat cut, machine gunned. He landed, you know, on D Day. Like he was in the Battle of Bulge. He got seriously wounded like three times. This is a man who's actually done things and is an amazing actor. He does this monologue. First take, I'm like, this is amazing. Does the second take, amazing. Does the third, also amazing. And he turns to me, goes. Okay, Reed, I think I think I got it that time. And I go, Charles, they were all they were amazing. And he goes, Yeah, but the first two t- takes, I was worried if you guys liked me. Okay. And I go, So it never goes away. And he goes, Never goes away. And that's you know, I've been blessed with you know some great teachers and learned some great lessons. And um, yeah, it never goes away. You're gonna feel vulnerable. And and because uh, um, it's just a it's just a strange thing we do. And uh, so if you can bring a little, like, I don't know, bring a little love and fun to the process, all the better. So what's this pilot you're talking about? The, the, the show you shot on the pilot, the show in uh, Vancouver. We did, um, we did a, a very cool 10-episode limited series because that's what, you know, lots of the networks are getting into that. So Fox got the 24 limited series right now, and now we did one called Wayward Pines. Matt Dillon and Melissa Leo, my, my homicide buddy, Terrence Howard, Juliet Lewis, Carla Gugino, like a really great cast. And based on these books by Blake Crouch, and it's when you first uh, when you first come into this world, it's like a sort of a Twin Peaksy world. So uh, Matt Dillon, the Secret Service agent, he's he's looking for his ex partner, and he 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 wakes up after a car accident. He wakes up in this town. And he can't seem to get out. But what I loved about it because I, I read the script, they wanted me to come and meet. And M Night Shyamalan directed the pilot. Okay. He's one of the producers. So they wanted me to come meet on it last summer. And I read the script, and I was like. Oh wow! I, I need to know what's going on here. I, I, I got to find out how this is going to play out. I go, well, I'll find out when I get the job. And I was like, oh, what if I don't get the job? So I immediately downloaded the books and I like sat there and read the books. And once I found out what the reveal was, I was like, I got to be on this show because the, because I I don't have a lot of patience for shows that have some sort of paranormal or mysterious. You know, I feel the reason I love Joss Whedon is when he plans a series. He knows the whole series, you know, like like a Vince Gilligan does or a Matt Wiener. You know, those guys are Tom Fontaine. You know, when they create a show, they know where it's going. I think 
as a person who personally got burned by Twin Peaks, you know, from back in the day where you're like, where's it going? I, I can't wait for it to, oh, it's not going anywhere. Right. Um, you know, the teepee poles need to come together, not spread out, right? So um, what I loved about this show, uh, Wayward Pines, is, oh, there's an explanation. We get to it really soon, and then the show becomes interesting. Once you, even, once you know the secret, the show becomes even more interesting. So when's that going to be on? Well, I don't know. They just did the upfronts this week. I think 2015. I thought we were going to be on in the fall, but I think we'll probably they'll probably save us for like this 24 slot, like right now. Okay, we have about five minutes left. Oh, oh. <laughs> let's uh, talk about the movie that, with Eric Stoltz. What's what's the? Uh... I can't. I, I can't. I think we, I have to be. I've been sworn to secrecy. Okay. About that one. So um, just it's it's really cool. And it was one of those, it was crazy because I was, because the, the show I was doing in Vancouver, The Wayward Pines, that was going over and then Franklin and Bash was starting. So I was literally, I had to be in two places at once and then just, but I, Eric sent me the script for his movie and I was like, I have to be in this. So suddenly I'm doing three jobs. So I kept two suitcases in my car at LAX and I would just like shoot in Vancouver, fly down, shoot Franklin and Bash, shoot, go drive down to San Diego to shoot on the weekend for his and then just repeat the process in reverse. But, you know, it's it, these. It's good to be busy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when's Franklin, Franklin Bash comes on pretty soon, right? Yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna premiere again the fourth season, which is actually our best season. It's been really, really fun. Um, um, it, you know, it took us four years to perfect it, but we're going to start up in the end, end of August, and it's going to be a really good year. We've got... Um, Got a new uh, actress in the cast, Tony Trucks, and she's amazing. And uh, um, we got the, the the scripts were excellent. We kind of got back to what I think made the show great because the, the pilot was really the template. And then what happens is over time, you know, the networks and they they kind of want to tinker with it. And we kind of I don't think we got a little off what we meant to do. And now we're back to what all of us signed up for. And it's a it's a really fun show. It must have been great be uh, doing scenes with Buck Henry. Okay, uh, hello, like Buck Henry. I mean, this is what the graduate. I mean, it, it's like, you know, well, this is the thing because I'm like I'm a huge fan. So like I'm working with Buck Henry, and Buck Henry is just brilliant and being so Buck Henry. Then in between takes, I'm like, Buck, tell me about this. How did that happen? You know, he's telling me stories about Day of the Dolphin and George C. Scott was a bastard. You know, you know, he's like, so we're, we're just. We're, I'm a lucky, lucky mofo. Well, you guys get good guests, and really Rob, Rob Lowe is on, and yeah. everyone loves Rob Lowe. I mean, I and I've never seen anyone say I don't like Rob Lowe. It's like everyone's like, you know, everyone goes, he's so pretty. You just have to like him. He's he is. Is so he more, pretty. is he prettier he, in real life? Oh my god! It's like <laughs> he is the handsomest man. My wife, actress, she did a movie with him. They played husband and wife, and she said he's the handsome. He's beautiful, and he is. He's beautiful. You're just like, I I I, I, I I'm in love with him. Let's see. That's yeah. That's your man crush. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. Yeah, my man crush is Joss Whedon. It was, yeah, Joss Whedon's my is man, that, crush. man yeah, crush. Yeah, yeah. If I if I had if I had to be with a man, I would be with Joss. See, I don't know. I think He's my dreamy. man crush. I, I like Duchovny. I like Bradley Cooper, and I like Dennis Leary. Yeah. They're all across the board. They're, they're, they're my man crush. Yeah, yeah. They're just different. I don't know. I just and she's Joanne's laughing. I go great. Now when we watch when we watch any of these movies, oh Stephen, you can't watch reruns of Rescue Me. You can be thinking about Dennis Leary. It's, it's a true emotion. You know, your man crush is like a true emotional love. It it, it transcends the sexual. <laughs> so uh, what else? Anything else coming up? I mean, like, it's, I'm waiting for you to sit there and get a text going. Oh yeah, by the way, we no. need you. We need you on this set right now. No, it's it's great. I got a lot coming out. I got Franklin Bash, Wayward Pines, and then this this movie. And I I'm sure I will be shooting something by the end of this week. No, yeah, exactly. Now, how, how did you end up uh, living on a vineyard? You know, um, the movie Sideways. Did you ever see the movie Sideways? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we we went up there, tried the wine, fell in love with that area, and then. Um, uh, for 10 years, we've been trying to sort of move up there. And then 
I, I was guest starring on Revolution, and uh, and the tagline in the in the opening for that show, Revolution, was those who were lucky enough to get out of the cities survived. And I was like, and I was like, I'd been, I'd done my time. You know, when I when I first came to LA, I thought. I mean, coming from New York City, I thought, this is the country. I loved it. And, I, and I, L.A. is great, you know, smelling the jasmine. But I, I, in a weird, I don't know, I've gone from the biggest city in the U.S. And now I just, I live, I'm, I'm, I'm basically going to probably be just living in a yurt in the woods by the end of my life. Because I just, the more I'm in nature, the happier I am. So up there, you know, I see every star in the sky. And, you know, I, 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 I hoe my field. And, okay. and uh, <laughs> you know, I, I manage the wildlife that I encounter. And, um it it suits my rhythm, you know. I'm, I was never like a, a go out party guy, so it's a it's a great great life, and I and I like to drink a lot of wine. Good. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Oh my God, my pleasure. And uh, now, how can people get in touch with you? Your, your, I'm your on Twitter. Tweet? I'm uh, is it at Reed Diamond? That's how it works. At Reed Diamond on Twitter. And people actually will respond because that's how I got you on the show. I sent you a tweet. Yeah. And, I, and a lot of times people don't get back to you because they get so many things and they don't know. But I always try to put guests that you may know. And, uh, and well, that was and you got back. That to worked. Oh yeah, because all you had all my favorite people on your show, and exactly. it's been a pleasure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so it's at Reed Diamond. At Reed Diamond. People follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. Also, go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have about, I got like 255 episodes up there. Check it out. Also, if you have one of those uh, Android devices, a uh, tablet or a pad or whatever, you can go to the Google Play Store and type in Cooper Talk, and I have an app. Now, for iPhones, it's a little, it's too hard to find. So just, if you send me a message uh, at Cooper at Indy 100, I'll tell you how to get it on the iPhone, because you have to go to like podbean.com coopertalk.com slash and it's crazy also remember every Tuesday I host a crappy comedy at Jimmy's place right there on San Fernando Boulevard between Amherst and Grismer and I have a big show coming up uh, May 29th Thursday night at 7 o'clock it's uh, Cooper Talk Live it's me with John Capelos who's been on Breakfast Club 16 Candles Miami Vice and it's at Robert Romanus's place Bob's Espresso on Lancashire Boulevard that's right in North Hollywood uh, Robert was Damone on Fast Times Richmond High free admissions show starts at 7 I'll interview for an hour followed by a Q&A so don't forget come out and don't forget keep listening I'm Steve Cooper I'm only as hip as my guests it's time for me to uh, get some lunch and also don't forget drink your water take your veg- eat your vegetables